If you've ever watched the TV show Shark Tank in the United States or the Canadian version Dragon's Den, maybe you're wondering whether an angel investor is the answer to your business dream. Here to help us with that question and more is Jan Davis. She's a respected and trusted business advisor, an Ivy League business expert, best-selling author, and no-nonsense lawyer. She's Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Whether you're an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur working for someone else, I want to give you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Because no one likes getting blindsided by what you don't know but somehow should or getting stuck paying for it later. Think of it as a mini-MBA and School of Hard Knocks wrapped in one and on steroids. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, brought to you by Business MO, LLC. Jan Davis is an investor in Triangle Angel Partners and is the immediate past president of its executive committee. She's also a retired CEO and a very active board member and advisor to companies in software, analytics, direct and interactive marketing, and personal information. Although she may be retired from a corner office, she is definitely not retired from business. And I love how she is leveraging her prior marketing and corner office experience to help multiple businesses and corner offices. She serves on the investment committee of the Launch Place Seed Fund and as an entrepreneur in residence for the Blackstone Entrepreneurs Network and for the minor in entrepreneurship in the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. It is such a treat to have her here today. Welcome to Business Confidential, Jan. Thank you, Hannah. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's wonderful to have you here. You know, shows like Shark Tank and Dragon's Den are popular and entertaining, and they certainly help audiences become more familiar with the concept of angel investing and the kind of money that may be available for early startup companies. But not every business can get themselves on these shows. So if I'm looking for an angel investor, how do I find someone interested in my business, Jan? The best thing to do is talk to your peers who may be entrepreneurs as well, to talk to your attorneys, your accountant, successful people in your community, and ask them who they know who does angel investing. The best way to meet an angel investor is through a warm introduction. It's really hard to get a chance to actually speak to an angel by approaching them over LinkedIn or in a, some, another random fashion like that. Another good way, though, is to participate in activities around your community that are focused on entrepreneurs. It could be seminars. It could be any kind of a networking event. If you are in our Raleigh-Durham-Chapel Hill area, there are tons of entrepreneurial events every month. I probably go to three or four, and I know many of of my my colleagues and friends do as well. And uh, it's a good opportunity to to, uh, meet potential investors in a more casual environment and to, to ask if you could talk to them later about your business idea. That's great advice. Now... What's the difference between an angel group and an angel fund? Sometimes you hear that, and is there really a a meaningful difference between the two? 
Uh, yeah, Emma, there there is a uh, meaningful difference between an angel group and an angel fund. They're actually the third class is individual angels who would just invest independently away from any any group or fund. An angel group is a group of accredited investors who come together and source deals together. They might perform due diligence together. They then ultimately make investments decisions independently. So if you had a group of, say, 50 angels who are members of a group, you might have as few as one or two that would invest in an in a individual deal or as many of, as a dozen or two that might invest in an individual deal. So in effect, you are having to make multiple sales to get a dollar. Many of the, the angels that are invest in groups are interested in, in uh, perhaps forming a, a limited liability corporation with some of their fellow members. So you might have two or three of them that would come together and make a, an investment um, as a single entity. But often, the, each will invest individually, which will mean that you will have one, two, three, five, ten shareholders, individual shareholders, to whom you'll be answering. In an angel fund, you have a group of, of again, accredited investors who come together and contractually commit to each other to provide funding to a fund. So in the case of, of our fund, Triangle Angel Partners, our first fund, we had about just over 50 members. We had $2.8 million in committed capital. We would go through similar activities, sourcing deals, evaluating deals, performing due diligence. But then we would have a member vote and invest as a single shareholder and typically invest, say, $100,000, between seventy dollars and $150,000, typically for an initial investment. Our second fund is just over $3 million, and we'll be continuing with that same process. But it means that you have a single shareholder and typically a, a larger initial investment from a fund than you, than you do from a group. Jan, you mentioned a magic word here between the group and the fund. You talk about accredited investors. What exactly is an accredited investor, and how is that different from my rich uncle with a deep pocket? Um, your rich uncle with a deep pocket may indeed be an accredited investor, but he, if, even if he's not, he could invest in a family and friends round. An accredited investor is a definition that is governed by the, the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, and it defines people who are supposedly, at least, sophisticated investors. So it's people who have made $200,000 or more individually over the last three years and have the expectation of continuing to do the same. If it's a couple, the, the amount is higher, but if you can count both incomes. Or you can, if you have a million dollars in investable assets, excluding your primary residence. So you can qualify either on income or on assets. Typically, angel groups and funds only want to have members who are accredited investors because they don't want to have any liability to people who can claim that they are unsophisticated investors, and if something goes wrong with the investment, come back and sue. Well, that certainly makes a lot of sense. What types of businesses will angels invest in? Angels invest in all different kinds of businesses. It really depends on the kinds of experiences and backgrounds that they have had themselves. So in my, my personal background, as you said, it has to do with information analytics, marketing services, 
direct and interactive marketing, more focused on consumer-oriented solutions, but less on things like enterprise software. So if I'm making my own individual investment decisions, I would gravitate toward things like that. If you're investing in an angel fund, I mean, we've invested in everything from a med device company, marketing services, a water safety neckband uh, for people who are learning to swim, so a fit basically a wearable device, uh, manufacturing software, just a broad range of things. There are angels that invest only in business-to-business software. There are angels that invest in healthcare IT. It truly depends on the the kinds of things in which the, the investor is interested. There are angels in this community that invest in consumer products that they can then sell through online marketing channels. The one thing that you rarely see angels investing in is pharmaceutical products. And that's because it takes so much money to develop a new pharmaceutical product or a biotech product. And I don't know of any angels that have deep enough pockets to participate in the the multiple funding rounds and the huge amounts of funding that are required for for pharma products. I think software is probably the most frequent investment sector, software and Internet, but, uh, but there's a lot of variety. It's good to know the different types and the variety that are out there just to give people an, an idea that they're probably not excluded. And if, if nothing else, they can ask. And if it piques somebody's interest, and certainly if their, their pitch shows that there is a niche, a need, and a profitability, I would expect that could get your attention, at least initially, to explore it a little bit. You're, you're absolutely right. That is one, absolutely one factor that you just mentioned that's, that's crucial for angels. Angels want to get their money back with a return. So typically they're not going to invest in something that doesn't look like it can grow and be profitable. Angels like our, our fund are looking for things that are high-growth businesses. So we wouldn't invest in a restaurant or a gift shop or, or something like that. That is more of a, what we would refer to as a Main Street business. We don't typically invest in things like advertising agencies, consulting firms, because all the assets there are people. And if you make an investment and there's a change in the people, the value of the investment could immediately disappear. So there are some sectors that beyond pharma that may not have the growth and profitability dimensions that make them attractive for for angel investors. Understandable. Definitely understandable. One fear that some people have about approaching investors is that, oh my gosh, you know, here I've taken this idea, you know, I've I've sunk my savings into it. My family has suffered because I'm never around. I'm working 20 hours a day. It's finally getting off the ground. I know I need some help. The angels sound like the ideal way to make my dream come true. But what if you just take my ideas and everything I've built and run and then fire me? I mean, what, what what happens? I mean, there's this fear that you're going to take over my company, leave me in the dust. I've I've heard that from entrepreneurs more than once, Hannah, and it's it is a fear that that entrepreneurs have. I think one thing to keep in mind is that one of the four or five key factors that angels will evaluate is the management team for a business because we've decided we want to be investors, not operators, and we are looking for a great team that we can back. We don't want to take your business. We are looking for people that can 
that have the experience, the passion, the vision to take an idea and take it to the moon. We aren't looking for ideas to steal. It is important to know your investor. As angels are doing due diligence on you, there's nothing that says you can't do a little due diligence on them. Our reputations are really important to us, and so we get the reputation of being someone that doesn't behave in an ethical manner. We won't get to see the good deals anymore. Now, if you receive an investment and if it turns out aren't performing, you've decided, okay, I've I've won the game by getting this investment money and I'm going to slack off now, and you're not continuing to drive the business, it is possible that we would bring in another CEO. It doesn't mean you don't still have a, your ownership stake. It doesn't mean that there's any attempt to steal your business. Often you'd be offered a position perhaps as a chief technical officer, chief product officer um, in the in the med device space. It might be a chief science officer because your, your, your vision and your expertise are still desired, but it may be that you don't have the ability to take your business from the million dollars in revenue to the 10 million to the 20 million in revenue. And as a significant shareholder, while it might hurt your feelings a little bit to lose the CEO title, if you value the returns that you could eventually earn from your ownership in the business, that should be a a situation where you can at least swallow your pride and and try to do everything you can to to move the business along. But angels are, are... I don't know any angels that are looking for ideas to steal and and take over a business. Well, you're absolutely right. Reputation is important because if you don't have that, um, you know, because I've I've heard the same types of things with people talking about, well, you know, I have this book idea. I want to talk to a book agent, and they think the agent's going to run and write their book for them. The agents don't want to write the book <laughs> any more than, you know, especially if you are, are semi-retired. It's like you've been there. You've done that. You've had your shirt sleeves rolled up. You know, you're you're offering a different type of expertise at this point, something that's very valuable and important in order to help a business grow. But that doesn't mean you want to be down in the trenches making every decision and fielding every phone call. So hopefully that would help put that into the proper perspective. And I would also hope put that in the proper contracts so that, you know, there's some checks and balances about what types of circumstances could trigger say, a departure and what that means then for their particular stake in the company and so forth. But, you know, you mentioned about the profitability. Just to continue yes. with that one more minute. Typically yeah. decisions about asking a CEO to step down are made by the board of directors. And a board is usually balanced. So in most cases, uh, with the companies in which either I've invested personally or, or um, Triangle Angel Partners has invested, it's, an, it's a, either a three- or a five-person board uh, with two seats controlled by the, the founders, if it's a five-person board, two seats controlled by perhaps the investors, and one, one seat, the tiebreaker seat, is a, an independent that's acceptable to both parties. So if the investors believed that the CEO was not doing a good job, that the investors would have to convince either one of the internal people, which has happened, and or the independent that there needed to be a change before a change would be made. So it wouldn't be a decision that would be left solely up to the outside investors to make a change. 
Well, there you go. That's one way to have the checks and balances in place to provide a level of comfort that everybody is rowing in the same direction and that it's the best interest of the company that is being focused on and different people bringing different expertise in order to help make it grow and be even more successful than it currently is. In evaluating an investment, we talked about profitability just very briefly, but but what do funds or individuals look for in a prospective investment? Let's put aside for a second an individual looking for, you know, if, if marketing is their thing, that they want something that, that is pulled to their strength and to their, their network. But let's say a fund, what would be the main criteria that a fund would look at so that in people wanting to approach an angel investor know whether they've got some weaknesses that they need to shore up even before starting to have the conversation? That's a great question and uh, one that's frequently asked. There are several criteria. One that we talked about a little bit is a great team. It's got to be the right people who can make things work. The second is an interesting market. We like markets that are growing, not shrinking, where there's not there aren't one or two winners that have sewed it all up and there's just no way because of the strength of the brand or some other reason, patent portfolios or whatever, that a, a newcomer can can easily, or even not easily, but can conceivably achieve rapid growth in that market. Third is a novel solution, so not just the same old, same old, where the, the difference is just supposed to be great execution. And then the, not necessarily, the, the company doesn't have to be, shouldn't actually be immediately profitable or not highly profitable because you want to have, you want it to be obvious that the, that the, there's an opportunity to reinvest profits and perhaps future, future equity rounds in order to, to drive rapid growth. But that, that ability to grow rapidly is the fourth really important criteria not interested in 5% a year growth. So those are the four things. Great team, interesting market, novel solutions, and ability for rapid growth, the prospect of rapid growth. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Very, very good. Now, valuation is always going to be a little tricky proposition because especially when somebody's started something from scratch, it's easy to overvalue something. How does somebody know what their company is worth? Another great question. Particularly for an early stage company, particularly if it's pre-revenue, it's extremely difficult to put a precise valuation on the company before any investment has been made. There are, there are a number of methods. One is the venture capital method. And first, the way you do that is you basically project out the cash flow from the business over a five to seven year period and then discount that back using a uh, a discount rate, and then you get a valuation. Another is to look at the value of comparable businesses. Might be public companies, might be privately owned companies where there have been recent investments where you can get some kind of a multiple of revenue or or profit. So you can then estimate what this business is going to be worth and again discount that terminal value, if you will, back to the present using a discount rate. The third way that we actually use, we, I mean, we use all of these, but this one is particularly good for a pre, pre-revenue company, and that is you look at what is the, what's been the average pre-money valuation for startups of a similar stage in your region during the past quarter, 
and I believe last quarter it was about 2.7 million for the the average pre-money. So before any outside investment went in, the average pre-money valuation for angel investments in the southeast. And then we look at the strength of the market, the management team, the solution. Are there uh, patents? Is there some kind of special sauce that's, uh, that's protectable? Are there regulatory barriers? All of the factors that might influence the value, and we say it's this company better or worse than what we see as an average these days in this area. And then we assign monetary values to that, and we might say, okay, this business, based on all of these factors, is um, maybe 75% as good as the average investment, or maybe it's one and a half times as good as the average investment, or twice as good. And then that would be the the pre-money valuation that, that we would suggest. If you're at the stage where you have a concept You've got wireframes, you've built a prototype, but you don't have any users, probably your pre-money valuation is going to be less than a million dollars. And what about post-money valuations? The post-money valuation is simply the pre-money valuation plus the money that comes into the business. So if we if we take that $2.7 million pre-money valuation that was an average, and you add another say, million dollars in angel funding that comes into the business, then the post-money valuation would be $3.7 million. And your goal then should be to to grow the business over the next six months, year, however long it is, do you need to raise a subsequent round if you're going to need to raise a subsequent round, and make sure that you hit milestones, that you've gone from that, the state you were when you received the money and you were worth $2.7 million, to some greater state. So you've gone from five customers and $20,000 a month in recurring revenue to 25 customers and $100,000 in monthly recurring revenue. So you've demonstrated a definite increase in value so that when you need to raise money the next time, you are raising money at a higher valuation than the post money of the prior round, so more than $3.7 million. You never want to have to raise money with what's known as a down round so that the valuation for the company is worth less than the post money of the prior round. That's a bad thing for you because it means you're diluted. It's a bad thing for your the investors who participated in the, the, the first round. And nobody wants that, that's for sure. What can business owner expect in terms of the interaction with the angel investor, with a fund, for example? Are they going to be calling up every day, every week, every month? How much interaction, how high touch is it going to be? Typically, it's that's spelled out in the, the investment agreement. So um, it may be that an individual, a single individual, becomes one of your board members, and that individual represents the seed funding round. So they would be representing the interests of the people who all the interests of all of the investors who came in at that at that that round. It may be that that uh, none of them, the, the agreements did not call for them to get uh, a board seat, but said that they had observer rights. That means that they don't get to vote on issues that come before the board, but they have the right to send a participant to the board meeting and sit in on everything except 
very, very private board decisions, um, and there should be very few of those. They might only get information rights, and those would be spelled out in the agreements. Information rights might be quarterly financials. It might be annual financials. It would specify whether they are reviewed financials or audited financials. So it's, it should be pretty clearly spelled out. It is very rare that at least members of our fund or the angels that I know bug entrepreneurs. They're available to provide advice and counsel, and because many of our members are experienced entrepreneurs themselves, often they are being sought out to provide advice and counsel on specific issues. But uh, they're busy people and uh, often are invested in, in the case of people who are members of our fund, we're invested in, in not, uh, we've invested in fund one, we invested in nine investments. We've just approved two new investments. So we're not likely to be bugging our entrepreneurs. If you have money from it, an individual angel, it's possible that an individual angel might provide uh, more advice and counsel than you're interested in having. And it's it's always, I realize that that can be a sticky situation because particularly if a family member or a friend, you, you want to be polite, even if it's just somebody that's respected in the community, you don't want to damage your reputation and be uh, uh, known as somebody who's secretive or rude. But uh, I, I realize that, that when you take money from individuals, it's probably worth it, no matter how good the relationship is, to specify in the investment documents the frequency of the of the communications. Well, that's great advice. Contracts always help to clarify expectations and set nice, clean boundaries. It makes it easier to enforce or just to gently remind people, you know, this is what we agreed to originally and, you know, am I disappointing you somehow? And sometimes people, the silent investors are not so silent. They're just trying to be helpful and don't realize they may be getting in the way. But you make a great point about the fund being invested in so many investments. They can't possibly micromanage each one. They don't want to micromanage each one. So that all is very, very good. Our time is coming to a close here, and before we go, though, I'm just curious about the Triangle Angel Partners that you are a part of. How long does it typically take for investment decisions to be made? For us to make an investment decision, it depends on where, where you want to start counting from. But we, our process is you apply to Triangle Angel Partners on our website, triangleangelpartners.com, and then we have a screening committee that meets biweekly. They would decide whether or not you would move on to the next level of screening, which is to present to the executive committee. The executive committee meets once a month. So if you happen to apply just before a screening committee meeting, and that screening committee meeting was just before an executive committee meeting, that could be as little as two weeks, but it could be as much as six, depending on where you fall in that cycle. Then after you pitch to the executive committee, you'd be if you get past that screen, you would be invited to present to the members, and the members meet once a month. So, again, that's another two-and-a-half to three-and-a-half weeks till the member meeting pitch. Then the member meet, members would vote at the meeting to, on whether or not to conduct due diligence. If you get to the due diligence phase, due diligence can take as little as a month and as long as three or four, depending on how ready you are as an entrepreneur with to respond to the information requests, the document requests, 
the forecast requests, competitive analysis, the interviews with with uh, clients or users or or knowledgeable experts in your field. If you're not ready with any of that, then that can take that can add weeks and weeks to the process. So assume you you are ready, so you can respond almost immediately to those requests. The due diligence is conducted by people who have other jobs and other things they're doing. The volunteer job. So it can take as little as two or three weeks, or it can take a couple of months. So I tell prospective um, applicants to Triangle Angel Partners that we can get it done in as little as 60 days, but it's more likely to be 90 to 120 days from the time you apply till the time you get a check. Once the due diligence team completes their investigation, they write a recommendation to invest or not, and then the members vote. And the member vote is typically a week, and then once that's over, the check can be cut in a couple of business days. Well, that helps put things into perspective. So if you need money next week, the angel fund is not necessarily your best choice. You're actually pretty limited. You need to plan further ahead. But this is some great information as far as the outline, what to expect, the information you need to have ready. So you need to be prepared in order to be able to sell your business as a viable growth prospect to an angel fund or actually any angel investor regardless of of, uh, the type it is. Is that a fair synopsis? That's absolutely fair and a very good summary. (laughs) Okay, terrific, terrific. Well, I am just so delighted to have your expertise here with us today because angel funding is so important. And there comes that sort of tipping point in a business where somebody has to decide, do I really want to grow it and bring other people in or do I want to have it go at a much smaller pace where I can keep more control? And so having an understanding of what's involved with the process, what to expect, and that it's maybe not as scary about giving up control as they they think, certainly not with somebody wanting to steal their idea, that there are ways to manage and put boundaries around it in order to protect their interests, protect everyone's interests, hopefully makes it less frightening and more appealable so that they can reach their dreams and achieve what they would like. Any closing thoughts before we wrap up here, Jan? I think the best thing that, that entrepreneurs can do if they're considering seeking angel investing, angel investment, is to get to know some angels who might be interested in your area before you need the money. Develop those relationships so that when you do show up and say, okay, I have shown that I have a viable business idea and I've shown that I know how to grow it and so I want to raise money, you're not showing up as a stranger and you've demonstrated through maybe meetings over three months or six months that you hold yourself accountable and that you that you deliver on your growth prospects. The other thing I would say is if you need funding in order to make your business grow rapidly, don't hesitate to seek outside investment. The the fears of loss of control and and all of the other things that we discussed aren't worth wasting a great business idea because you don't have the money to be competitive. It's better to to own 10% or 20% of a $100 million business than 100% of a $2 million business. Excellent. It's all about the math. It's all about what you really want and getting clear with yourself. But I love your point about starting to establish relationships, getting to know them, who you like to work with, so that they can evaluate just even to start with 
who they may want to be working with, but also to build that foundation of trust because people like to do business with who they know, like, and trust. It's all it's about. So thanks again, Jan. Giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. Thank you for joining me today on Business Confidential Now. You can get more information about today's guest and the resources we mentioned during today's show in the episode notes that are located on our website, businessconfidentialradio.com. Sometimes we even include some bonuses and goodies, so be sure to check it out. That website again is businessconfidentialradio.com. And also don't forget to subscribe to the show. That is the easiest way to keep up with the show and our guests, those thought leaders, experts, and authors who are transforming businesses behind closed doors around the world. Let them help you too. Subscribe today for easy access to the business information you need to succeed. You know, the reason we call the show Business Confidential now is because you don't have time to wait. So just do it. Subscribe now and leave a review. We want to hear from you. We want you to be part of our growing Business Confidential Now family. Tell your friends and colleagues so they can subscribe too. Because the more subscribers we have, the more great guests we can bring you. And the more business intelligence you'll have available to ignite and fuel your continued business success. Have an idea or a topic, a guest that you'd like to hear on Business Confidential Now? Contact me at the website, businessconfidentialradio.com. And connect with me on social media, too. We'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. Next week, Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hazel-Kelchner will be back with more of the business intelligence and inside scoop you need to succeed. Till then.